On a dark desert night. A small voice calls. Sister, will you tell us a tale? Jinn, Magians, Sultans, Buried Treasure. We're going to explore what they say about their cultures then and why they captivate us now. Light your lamp and pour some tea while we retell you a thing. Welcome back to the podcast. Got another installment of our 1001 Nights series for you today, but also some exciting news. Well, exciting to us. <laughs> Katrina and I, for the first time in many years, were in the same place at the we same were. time and got to spend time together and hang out and have fun. And it was amazing. It was super amazing. We were supposed to hang out. We live on like opposite sides of the United States. And we were supposed to hang out in summer 2020. That was the plan because we had hung out in 2018 and we had all committed to like hang out every two years, like to plan a trip every two years. And so summer 2020 minimum. minimum. So it was like summer 2020. We were going to do it. We were going to get together. And then everybody in the whole world knows exactly how travel plans went that year. (laughs) So it was like the second my husband and I got like fully vaccinated. We left like it seriously was we got our first shots and then we counted because it's like two Two weeks weeks after your second dose yeah is when you're like fully and so like we left the day that it was like (laughs) my like official day of being fully protected from like a vaccine that's so funny i didn't realize that it was like literally to the day yeah, I mean, I don't think we planned it supposed to be like literally to the day. It just luckily worked out that way. It, yeah, like that's when it like when dates and stuff like lined up where it was like, oh, wow. Yeah, it was like, oh, I'm fully vaccinated. Time, yeah, <laughs> time to get on a plane. And yeah, so we got to see each other and hang out. And it was like incredible. Yeah, it was awesome. We've been friends for 13 years. And I think we were, like, doing the math the other day, and it was, like, of that 13 years that we've, like, known each other and been friends, we've only lived in the same city for one year. Yeah. There's, like, of our little friend group that's all super close together, like, including, like, my wife and Katrina were actually friends before I ever met either of them. Yeah. And then, you know, our other, one of our other friends, it's, like, bet- between the, the four of us, like... 2008 was like the pivotal year of our friendship that solidified it into the thing that has carried on through the rest of our lives up until this point at the very least. So it's like kind of crazy. There's like so much happened in that one year that was able to like forge these bonds as strong as they are. Yeah, To be like, nope, we are going to be friends forever and we're going to hang out. And yeah. After 2020, I think many of you listening would agree. That seeing the people you love in person is really important. And you've gained a greater appreciation for it when you were not able to do so for such a long time. I know I have. Yeah. And now it's it's crazy for me to be like talking to you like back through technology. Yeah. When I seriously was just sitting in your living room <laughs> 24 hours ago. Right. The living room that you can see behind me currently as you speak. You're like, I was yes. just there, but... Now we're back to this. It's so weird. Yeah, it is kind of trippy. So today we are going to be talking about a a pivotal part of the relationship between Shahrazad and King Shariar, which earlier we had said that, you know, for the most part, as you're moving through the nights, you're not hearing any dialogue that's going on like between them. It'll be like, Oh, the morning dawned and this night ended. And then it goes on to, and the, the following night, Shahrazad said, Oh King, I have heard that blah, 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 blah. So nothing but to acknowledge like one night has ended. Now we're beginning a new night, but there's not really any story or anything happening in the frame story. Yeah. So from night's, 45 tonight 145 Shahrazad is telling the story of King Umar Ibn al-Numan and his family. So that's it's 45 to 145. 145. 
So it's yeah. like a so hundred nights. A hundred nights, three hundred pages. A full one tenth of the thousand nights <laughs> is spent on this one story. Yes. And it contains like several nested tales inside of it, of course, including the story of the Hashish Eater, which is just a short tale of comedy gold. It's raunchy and delightful, much like me. Uh, (laughs) So when Shahrazad wraps up these tales on night 145, she's a bit startled when out of the darkness comes the deep voice of the king saying, I want you to tell me a story about birds, which, okay, man likes birds. (laughs) That's relatable to me. Um, <laughs> but yeah, it just like kind of out of nowhere, he like puts in just like this little request for like a story about birds. And Dunyazad, Shahrazad's sister, who has like kind of been there as an audience member throughout, says, in all this time, it is only tonight that I have seen the king looking happy. And I hope that your affair with him will turn out well. So, like, even Dunyazad, like, notes that, like... Something's different. Something's different. Like, something's going yeah. on. Suddenly the king is, like, engaged... Right. ...in what we're doing. Not just kind of, like, quietly listening and allowing it to happen. Right. But now he's investing himself into it. Yeah, because it started off, like, he was, like, super reluctant. It was like, oh, my sister wants me to tell her a story before you kill me in the morning. And he's like, ugh, fine. Like, one story one night won't kill me. So he, like, lets her tell the story, but wisely she, like, ends in the middle of it. So it starts off as just this thing where he's, like, reluctantly letting the story go on. And then it starts talking about how he's, like, you know, he pretends that he's not listening, but you can kind of hear him, like, you know, perking up and listening to certain parts. And then that's, like, grown until now he's, like, engaging with the stories. Openly and like fully to the point where he's like making his own requests. Yeah. And so this marks this like shift in the frame narrative, like of the tale that kind of sometimes you forget as you're reading that there's like even that like frame narrative going on. But now we see this like shift in the relationship with that, with the storyteller and the storytelly. <laughs> So then after that, the king falls asleep and it leaves Shahrazad to think of what tale she wants to tell the next night. That probably should include a bird if she wants to make, uh, <laughs> <laughs> make the king her, her husband happy. Yeah. So this request starts off a series of animal related stories Some of them a little less animal-related than others, but like a series of animal-related stories that gets the king talking more and more to Shahrazad. And the first tale that is told is the peahen, the duck, and the gazelle. And a peahen, of course, is a female peacock. (laughs) This is an animal husbandry podcast. (laughs) Um, but that story for the sake of what we're talking about today, we're not going to tell that story. And we're going to go to the second tale in this kind of series that Shahrazad tells because it marks another kind of shift in her relationship with the king. So Shahrazad tells the story called The Pious Shepherd. Okay. So on this 148th night, she continues and begins to tell the story of the pious shepherd, which starts off not with the pious shepherd, but with a hermit that lives up in the mountains. And so this hermit used to divide his food in half, where he would keep half for himself and half for the pigeons. And he prayed every day that these pigeons would have many young. And that prayer was answered. The Hermit's Mount was the only place that these pigeons went to. (laughs) It's funny because it says like. Yeah, the pigeons would go and glorify God. Yeah, they're (laughs) glorified. 
happened where they would go and you're glorify like, God. Like, you're like, am I reading this correctly? <laughs> like, you are. The pigeons were going and praying to the Lord. Yeah. As all pigeons should do. And glorifying God by giving plenty of young into the earth. And so also, you know, the hermit was super happy about that. And it does say that the pigeons would literally pray by saying, Glory be to the author of all creation, the distributor of sustenance, the builder of the heavens, and the unfolder of the lands. And so the pigeons lived like a great life there with their young until the hermits died. And after the hermits died, because he was the one there giving them their food, that was the only place they would go. They didn't have that anymore. So they kind of dispersed themselves out, scattered among towns, villages, and mountains all over the place. And presumably, some of these pigeons went to another mountain. And on this mountain, there was a shepherd, a pious shepherd, the titular pious shepherd, <laughs> who it says was also intelligent and chaste. And he owned flocks. That's kind of what shepherds do. He tended them, and he benefited by having wool and milk. The mountain that he would put his flock out on had lots of trees and pastures, but there were, and while there were many other like beasts of prey that lived in these mountains, none of the wild beasts had any power over him and his flock. So essentially, like, even though there may be like bears or wolves or whatever living around, they didn't come and eat his stuff just because of how pious he was. It was kind of like blessed by God to not have that happen. So he lived a very peaceful life, unaffected by any worldly matters, because he just was living out there in the woods and just prayed all day long and tended to his sheep. But then, just as God had decreed, he became very ill. And he went into this cave that he used to kind of store his sheep in before he would take them out for the day. And he was kind of like just convalescing inside of this cave trying to get better. And so God wanted to test him and his obedience because he had been living this obedient life. And he was trying to see if he could really stand a difficult test to his faith. So what God decided to do was send an angel down in the form of a beautiful woman to the shepherd. And so when the shepherd saw this beautiful woman come into his cave and sit down beside him, he drew back with revulsion and got goosebumps all over his body. Like, beautiful woman? Yuck! I don't want any of that. (laughs) (laughs) God sent the wrong angel. Mm. (laughs) And so he's like, woman, what are you doing here? He's like, I don't need anything from you. So it's like, you need to get out of here. And the woman is comes up to him and says, like, just look at me. Look at my beauty. Look at my loveliness. Can't you smell how sweet that I smell? It's like, don't you know what men need from women and what women need from men? She's like, that's what I'm here for, to give you what you need. Uh, And her quote was, I'll be your friend and I offer myself to you as you need the services of a woman. Because she basically is like, hey, do you want to be friends with benefits? (laughs) Wank. (laughs) Exactly. (laughs) And he is not interested. But then she says one more thing that she thinks might be able to sway him. And she says, if you sleep with me, your illness will leave you and your health will be restored. So it's like, obviously, he's super sick. He probably would want to feel better. But then she adds a nice little caveat onto the end of that too and says that you'll regret what you missed in your past life by way of intimacy with women. So she's like, I'm going to make you regret all your past decisions on not getting intimate with the ladies. But the shepherd is like, no, get out of here, you false and treacherous woman. Don't come near me. I don't need intimacy with you. I don't need union with you. Whoever would desire you is without desire for the next world. And whoever desires the next world will have no desire of you. And he basically is like, goes on about how you're like, you've been seducing men for ages. I'm not going to have any of it. Get out of here. So when he says that, he throws his cloak over his face. So he doesn't even have to look at her anymore. And he says even too, he's like, I can see how much ugliness lies concealed beneath your beauty. And he basically turns himself away and he starts occupying himself, not only with not looking at her, but he starts calling on the name of the Lord and praying to him. And so when the angel saw how obedient that he was being to God, the angel is like, okay, goes back to heaven. What I thought was interesting was it said he he, left him. I was about to point that out too. So it was like the angel, the angel was a, (laughs) a male angel the whole time. Pretending to be a woman. So that's interesting. So the, the shepherd being fully tested, the angel gone. We go on to hear about someone else 
who is another pious man who lives in the village next to where the shepherd lives. And in a dream, this other man heard a voice saying that there's a good man that lives up in the mountains. I need you to go to him and like basically put yourself at his command. I need you to go and, and serve him. And so the man, recognizing this as a message from God, does as he was directed, and he heads straight for the mountain. And so as he's there, he comes beside a tree that has this like nice spring of water flowing there, and he was resting there for a little bit. And he was seeing all kinds of beasts and birds and all this stuff coming down to drink from the stream. But as soon as they saw this guy sitting there, they would kind of like get spooked and then run away. And this guy gets really upset and he starts like kind of exclaiming to God. He's like, oh man, all my resting here has done is to harm these birds and these beasts. And so he starts like getting hard on himself talking about how like me being here today has harmed them, stopped them from getting the food and water that they need. He's like, what will my excuse be to my creator and theirs for harming them in this way. He's like, and how ashamed am I going to be? And so he sat there and just started crying over the fact that he was stopping these birds and beasts from drinking. And then he goes on his way until he reaches the shepherd and they kind of exchange their greetings. And the shepherd's like, hey, uh, what are you doing up here? Nobody's ever come up to visit me here before. And so the man from the village says, like, well, I saw you in a dream and I was ordered to come over and serve you. And so the shepherd kissed him, took him in his company there on the mountain, and they were there to be able to worship God together and serve the Lord. And they ate the sheep, drank their milk, didn't have any concern about children or wealth or anything else until death came to them, just as death comes to us all. The end. Beautiful. This story seems so weird and bizarre to me, (laughs) but it makes me like go back and dig deeper into it when I read what comes next, which is that the king, after hearing this story, said, Shahrazad, you have made me renounce my preoccupation with my kingdom, and you have made me regret the excesses to which I went in killing women and girls. And so, like, I read that, and it made me immediately, like, go back Uh to, like, look and examine that story again. Cause I was like, what is it that was contained in that story? That would make him change his mind or feel regret or whatever. Yeah. That he suddenly was like, Oh my gosh. And the story is so interesting to look at that. There's like these kind of three examples of different men that are trying to make their life in line with, what they think God like wants for them. And cause it's like, you have the hermit who lived in the mountains and all he did was like split his food every day, him and the pigeons like equally. And the pigeons loved him. And he, you know, he was helping them instead of harming them, helping them live like their best mm-hmm. pigeon lives. Yeah. And then you have the shepherd who, you know, was like being pious. And even when he was faced with a temptation, that showed up on the mountain because it's one thing if you're like you're secluded on a mountain with like your sheep and so you're never tempted to you know lie cheat or steal or whatever right because the opportunity never presents itself yeah but then when an opportunity presents itself as a temptation for him it's like what does he do to lead that best life that like God wants him to have yeah and then you have this very interesting story with this man at the stream. And the story seems so weird to me because like I have never in my life been like, oh no, I have disturbed the birds from drinking. Yeah. I'm going to hell. Uh Like I am a bad person or like I have done irreparable harm like to the world. That's not how I think. Yeah. Or feel. Yeah. But it raises this really interesting philosophical question about my life on earth and how I move through it. Am I creating a net positive in the world or am I creating a net negative? Mm -hmm. And I'm pretty sure that the TV show The Good Place (laughs) is like a much longer version of that story of the man (laughs) sitting and being like, oh, no, I've disturbed like these birds. Therefore, I am 
a terrible person because I've I've created a negative. Yeah. And will that negative be what stops me from like reaching like the eternal reward that I'm looking for? Mm-hmm. And he like gives up basically like the rest of his life living as he did live it to worship God in a cave with sincere devotion, just like that hermit at the beginning of the story where he's trying to only create this like net positive by like giving up the rest of his life. And if I look at the story that way, I can see why the king, King Shariar, sitting listening to this story, might be thinking to himself, hmm, I've done a lot worse (laughs) than stopping animals from getting to a stream. Yeah. I've, like, let my anger and my wrath get, like, out of control, and I murdered women and girls who had nothing to do with that. Yeah. And so even though, like, the story itself, to me, because, like, religiously, like, I I think there's a lot to be said about deciding in, in a religious sense what makes a good life, how do you live a life devoted to God, but also a life that isn't closed off just to make sure that you don't mess up. Yeah. There's a very interesting, like, discussion, like, to be had there For in sure. that story that seems... It's very weird. Well, and it's one of the things, too, is like in the story of the shepherd, that's the one where God is like, hey, I need to actually test this person because they've been living a life that's like they haven't had to prove themselves. Like, yeah, they haven't done anything wrong, but they haven't done anything all that necessarily all that great either. And they haven't had the opportunity to make good choices in the face of adversity. And so God was like, no, I need to test him to see if he would actually do that like is he only a good person because he's secluding himself and avoiding any situation where he could do something wrong or does he actually have a strong belief and conviction in these ideas that he claims to have it's like you can't have that without the experience of like going through life yeah and it's fascinating because we've talked a lot uh during this series about like some of these stories and like what might inspire some of these stories or even callbacks to biblical religious stories. Mm -hmm. And so it was really interesting to me when it was like, you know, God was like, oh, I'm going to test this guy. Because in the story of Job in the Bible, there's this man, like very briefly recap the story. Um, There's this man who is really, really wealthy And he has a beautiful wife and lots of children, strong male children that he loves very much and good health. Like he has everything and he sits and glorifies God all the time. And the devil kind of goes to God and God is saying... Like, oh, look at this man who always, you know, wants to, like, praise me and stays faithful. And, like, he's such a a strong example of, like, righteousness and continual devotion to God. And the devil was kind of like, well, of course he is. He has everything in his life that a person could ever want. Of course, he's going to glorify God because like he has everything, but would he glorify you if he had nothing? And then begins this story of Job slowly, systematically having everything taken away from him. Mm -hmm. And the entire time until he is like covered in boils and sores, like basically like lying in like dirt and manure, friendless, familyless, like penniless. And he's still glorifying God. And so like the point of that story is kind of this like idea of whether your life is going well or it's going bad, you should always be having like a devotion to God and thinking that like he is speaking to you. I know a lot of people who have like problems with that story. Right. Uh, (laughs) And what's great about stories like that and like these ones are the opportunity that it gives to have like a discussion and kind of like tease out values. Right. Tease out your own values, whether they're in keeping with the story or whether they're different. 
and why. Yeah. yeah. Just like having that dialogue, that that back and forth. One thing that I think is interesting, too, is that, like you were saying, like, why is this the story that did it? Yeah. And one thing that came to mind, too, is like, this is just the straw that broke the camel's back, so to speak. You know, this is the one thing that just kind of like tipped it over the edge. Because we've talked a lot this year about all these other stories where we have these examples of women who were both bad and good and showing like all the different varieties of women that there are in the world. Because King Shariar had an experience with a woman who did very wrong by him and like betrayed him. And he had a reason to think that that woman was not a good woman, but he went beyond that to saying like, Oh, all women have this inside of them. And so I'm not going to trust any of them. I'm just going to preemptively kill them before they can betray me again. But then Scheherazade has been going on and telling stories about, yes, women are like, sometimes like you think and like this woman that has wronged you in the past, but there's all these other women that are good, that are helpful, that have nothing to do, but you know, good things for other people in the world. So I feel like that opens his mind up to that and then gets him in a place where he can think like, Oh, like this person, I think it is what you said. Like that whole thing with the birds, like not letting birds drink is something enough to make this guy fall down weeping because he thinks it might prevent him from like, you know, an eternal reward in heaven or whatever. Yeah. And he like, thinks that like, Oh, I'm a bad person yeah. because I've done this. It's like, wow. It's like, what is like, I have a lot of things to feel like I'm a bad person for, and maybe I should rethink those things. And I think too, the fact that he's having this like self reflection about regretting his choices and things like that is also one of the reasons why he's, engaging more with the stories because he's seeing how these stories are like valuable to him and his life and can give him insights into maybe how he could start trying to be a better person. And the first step of this is obviously realizing that what I have done in the past was very, 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 very bad. And so I don't know, maybe he's like starting to engage to think about like, okay, I want to hear some more stories that can help me think about other things that I can do to, change my life and be better i would hope yeah yeah and i think like to prove like the point of like what you're saying is that like after a few more like stories that she tells the king says shaharazad through your stories you have provided me with yet more exhortions and warnings do you have any stories of wild beasts and then she tells the story of the fox and the wolf and We, as a podcast, have talked a lot about foxes and wolves. And especially, like, through the lens of Aesop fables. Yep. And this story is, it's like, it's not that it's just, like, scenarios that sound like Aesop fable scenarios. Like, I'm talking throughout this whole tale, they've got proverbs just, like, nuggets hiding (laughs) like all throughout this like story and it goes back to two what we were talking about how these stories were used to start discussions and discussions of like values and inside this story we have two characters who do have these uh these kind of like back and forth discussions with each other throwing proverbs around everywhere <laughs> all within this like frame of a story that sounds so much like it was yoinked right out of Aesop's fables. That's awesome. So there was once a fox and a wolf who shared a den together. What could go wrong? <laughs> uh, <laughs> so There must have been some types of benefits for this relationship for both parties, but Wolf was often mistreating Fox. Obviously, bigger, powerful, meaner, like more brutish. So the Fox couldn't take it anymore, and he said, Know that if you continue to act arrogantly, God may give the son of Adam power over you. You should act gently and fairly, abandoning evil and coercion, for this will give you a pleasanter life. 
And it says the wolf was not prepared to accept the fox's advice, which is a very beautiful way of saying that he did not like that at all and (laughs) beat the crap out of Fox. So he beat up Fox, hit him so hard that he was knocked unconscious, which is probably more than you should beat a person. Mm -hmm. Personally, myself. Much more. Yeah. So when Fox came to, he decided that it would be a good time to apologize to Wolf for for uh, displeasing him. Um, so, yeah, basically, Fox was apologizing for asking to be treated better, which, by the way, yikes, that's a huge red flag in a relationship. <laughs> yeah. So Fox kind of like quietly to himself, he said, do not offer advice to evil men for they will repay you with evil. Which again, like I said, tons of language in here that's like sounds just straight up Aesop. After that, Fox kind of said within himself that like next time that he had the opportunity to trick Wolf, he was going to take it. That he was like, you know what? So the fox says to the wolf, the master pardons the servant who has done wrong and forgives him if he confuses his faults. I'm a weak servant and I've gone astray in offering you advice. So days and weeks went by and fox continued to treat wolf very, very kindly, let wolf do whatever he wanted because he like lived in fear of wolf because of physically the damage that he could like put on wolf. And then one day he was walking nearby a vineyard that was surrounded by a high wall. But as he's walking around this vineyard, he sees that there is like a gap in the wall. And at first, Fox is like excited because he's like, I found a way to get into the vineyard. I'm going to eat so much fruit. This is going to be amazing. But then he pauses for a second And says to himself, the proverb says that whoever sees a hole in the ground and does not avoid it or take care not to walk up to it deceives and endangers himself. And he says, like, it's well known that foxes love fruit. And so any good vineyard keeper would take pains to make sure there was like no gaps in the fence. I'm starting to be suspicious that this like might be a trick. And then he says, half of cleverness is caution, which I, again, excellent little proverb. So he kind of like sneaks around the hole and is like kind of looking around and over and everywhere just to kind of see what's really going on. And as he gets closer to this like gap, he realizes that like right on the other side of like the gap is a big pit Mm -hmm. that's been dug out so that any animal that tries to get in is just immediately going to like fall into this hole. It was a trap. It was a trap. And so he says to himself, you have got what you hoped for. (laughs) This was his chance to praise be to God that I was wary of this and I hope that my enemy, the wolf, who has spoiled my life, may fall into it. (laughs) And so he just immediately goes back to their shared den and is like, wolf, guess what? We have been provided an excellent treat. There is a gap in the wall that leads to the vineyard And the master of the vineyard is dead. He's been killed by someone and he's dead. And so all of the plants out in that vineyard are just laden with like big, juicy, ripe berries. Like it's amazing. This like beautiful blessing has come to us. We have to go quick. We have to move like fast. And so the wolf did not for a second doubt the fox because he was like no fox wouldn't lie to me because he's so scared of me like he would never you know try to cross me so not even a second thought wolf was just like oh my gosh that sounds amazing i'm there and it says moved by his greed he immediately went out there and fox 
kind of within himself, you know, is just overjoyed because like Wolf has just like taken off and believed him. And he says, desire is a harmful burden on man's neck. And so when Wolf got near to that gap in the wall, Fox told him, go into the vineyard. Don't try even like climbing the wall or knocking it down because like there's this great gap. Just like go right into it. So Wolf just raced through the gap that was in the wall and immediately fell into the pit, (laughs) obviously. And Fox, not being able to contain his joy, just immediately started like laughing and gloating and yeah, just like celebrating. And Wolf was like looking around at the predicament that he was in inside of the pit. And he started to cry and lament. Yes, but no. (laughs) True. Um, like he started to like cry and was full of sorrow, just like super, super upset. And the fox seeing this, he started to weep. And the wolf like looked up at him and he was like, is it out of pity for me that you are shedding tears, friend? And the fox replied, no, I am weeping because of the length of your past life, regretting the fact that this did not happen earlier. <laughs> oh. Brutal. <laughs> that is the most brutal like, takedown. Oh, my gosh. He's like, oh, no, I'm not crying because I'm sad about what happened to you. I'm, I'm wishing that this could happen sooner because this is the best day of my life. <laughs> Just like absolutely brutal. But the wolf starts to plead with him. And he's like, if you are not going to help me, please go get my mother to help me. Which I'm like, wow. He immediately started like begging for his mommy. Hmm. Sad, but also hilarious. And the fox was like, um, no, I'm not going to go and get somebody to come and help you. That would be absolutely ridiculous for me. He said, if a man takes no thought for the consequences of his actions, time will not be his friend and he will not be safe from destruction. So basically a big like, you did this to yourself and I don't care. This is what you get. So the wolf immediately like quips back with a proverb. The wolf was like, Remember, friend, that those who show forgiveness from a position of strength are rewarded by God. (laughs) So he's just like, oh, yeah, I've done bad things in the past. But if you forgive me right now, now that you're in this like, like place of power, your reward from God will be like so great. And then Fox says back to him. Have you forgotten your tyranny, your arrogance, and your pride? (laughs) He's like, you never respected our friendship. You never treated me as an equal. And a poet once said, do not act unjustly when you have the power. Wrongdoers live on the edge of punishment. You may sleep, but the one you wronged is still awake and cursing you while God's eyes never sleep. Oh, man. Dang. Busted out some real good lines. Yeah, I'm like, this this story is like, the dialogue is great. It's like on point, just pew, 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 pew. So Wolf decides to take kind of like a different tactic. And he's like, please don't hold my past faults against me. You have always been an amazing friend. I think that you're too trustworthy a friend to leave me in this pit. And then he says this poem, which I in my book labeled friendship poem. (laughs) You whose favors to me are many and whose gifts cannot be counted. No disaster of time has ever struck me without my finding you there to hold my hand. I'm like, that is a beautiful friendship poem. Being used. For treacherous reasons, <laughs> you sneaky, snaky wolf. Oh, man, he's like, you're too good of a friend to let me die in this pit. And the fox replied, you are my foolish enemy. 
I associated with you in fear of your enmity, and I flattered you in the hope of your favor. It's like, fear is not friendship. Mm-hmm. We were not friends. It's not, oh, you're too trustworthy and good of a friend to like leave me in this pit. And he's like, we were not friends. I was terrified of you, but also it was beneficial for me to like live with you, be under your protection, be your lackey. But like you treated me horribly. We weren't, that's not friendship. It's like a weird parasitic relationship. It's not like, that's not friendship. Yeah. So Wolf begged some more, please just go get me a rope. You could just tie one end to the tree and throw the rope in and run off before I get back up there and do who knows what to you. And the fox was basically like, um, no, I am not going to help you out of this. If I kept falling for your tricks, I would just be like the partridge in The Hawk and the Partridge. And that story goes like this. One day there was a hawk that had swooped down on a partridge. And although the hawk had seized this partridge hard in its talons, the partridge was somehow able to slip away and go and hide inside its nest. And so the hawk came down and called into the partridge and was like, Hey, dummy, what's going on? No, I saw that you were hungry there out in the open country. I'm... I felt bad for you. So I was just picking you up so I could take you to some grain that I'd gathered for you to eat. And then you just ran away. I don't know why, unless it was by some kind of mistake. So why don't you just come on out of there and eat this grain that I bought for you and just sit back and enjoy. And so the partridge is like, oh, you know what? That makes kind of sense. I guess the hawk wasn't trying to like hurt me or anything. He was just trying to do something nice and give me this grain. So the partridge comes out. And as soon as he does, the hawk once again grabs onto him with his talons and held onto it tight. And the partridge, shocked, says, like, is this why you told me that you had grain for me to come out and eat with pleasure and enjoyment? You lied to me. I can't believe you lied to me. He's like, may God make my flesh when you eat it turn deadly poison in your stomach. And so the hawk is like, oh, whatever. And he eats the partridge. And afterwards, the hawk's feathers start to fall out. It loses its strength and then dies of poisoning because the partridge totally cursed it. What a beautiful story. (laughs) Which is, it's an interesting story. It does take a turn with being like, oh, wow, it turned to poison at the end. But it totally reminded me of this conversation that we were having while you were here in town, where for some reason we were talking about being eaten alive by animals. Yeah. And my wife was like, it would be my honor to be eaten by a wild animal. And I was like, I hope whatever wild animal eats me chokes and dies. Demonstrating the very different natures between the two of us. But it's kind of funny because the partridge is like me. He's like, oh, you're going to eat me? Well, I hope you die. And then he did. See, the knights are so relatable. (laughs) (laughs) The stories are so relatable. So when Fox got done telling that story to the wolf, He was like, Wolf, whoever digs a pit for his brother will soon fall into it, which I thought was funny because he's saying that. Yeah, I'm like, he's saying that as like a proverb, but also there's a literal pit in this story. And he he didn't, the fox didn't dig it for Wolf, but he He helped dig. That made the wolf fall into it. Fall into it. So it's like, is he being. Foreshadowing? (laughs) Yeah, is this some foreshadowing about what's going to happen to the fox shortly? We'll find out. Yeah. But the fox was like, you were the one who started all of this because you were the one who treated me badly continuously. You treated me badly continuously because you had the power to do so. And now you're in a trap and no one's going to save you because you my whole life have been digging metaphorical pits for me. And now you've fallen into a literal pit. And the wolf said, stop talking like this and quoting proverbs. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> which I was like, good. I thought it was interesting how often they brought up the the proverb says, and stop quoting proverbs to me when I was like, dude, this thing is thick with proverbs. <laughs> and the wolf says, an enemy would be sorry for me in my present plight, let alone a friend. And it's like, no, no one is feeling bad for you, not even a little bit. Wolf was just continuing to kind of play this angle of like, well, okay, so even if you're not my friend, you're still like 
a good person. Wouldn't you want to help me out? So he was like, oh, okay. So like maybe you didn't feel like we were friends, but like we were, we were friends. And a friend will put up with the severest of hardships for his friend and risk his life to save him from destruction. A sympathetic friend is better than a full brother. I like that as like a little proverb. That's nice, except for the way that he's using it. Because like what he's saying is like a friend will put up with the severest of hardships for his friend. But it's like, listen, Wolf, a friend does not have to put up with the severest of hardships from his friend. Yeah. Like, Fox wasn't going through all these hardships out of like this, like, good hearted, you know, like. Yeah, like solidarity with his friend. Yeah. It was like the person that was causing the hardships was this quote unquote friend that you're saying. So it's like, no, buddy. Like, I don't have to put up with your abuse in the name of friendship. It's like, I may be able to go through hard things with you because you're my friend going through hard things. But that's not yeah. the situation. Yeah, if you're the hardest thing in my life, this is not a friendship that I want. Yeah. This isn't like a relationship that I like want to put up with. So, yeah, basically the fox just laughed at him. So the fox just straight up starts like, laughing at the wolf and is like, you are like one of the like dumbest animals I have ever met, which is funny, like coming from a fox because foxes like are smart. And then he says, they have pointed out, meaning wise men, wise men have pointed out that those with thick bodies and coarse natures are far removed from intelligence and close to stupidity. (laughs) I'm like, dang. If you need we some insults, to... just come through and write down some of these from this story. Yeah. We'll be loaded like, with them. Memorize them and have them ready to go at a moment's notice. Like Fox is just telling it like it is. So at this point of like coming up with all these different, trying to think of different tactics to get Fox to help him out, Wolf kind of starts to realize that there is nothing that he could say to Fox that is going to make Fox want to help him. And so, like many people in trying times, he turned to God. (laughs) So he starts praying and repenting and was saying, like, I wish that I had more time to be alive so I had more time to repent. I would... If I could live longer, if I could have a longer life, like after this point, I would go into the mountains. I would give up all like earthly pleasures and go into the mountains. I would put on uncomfortable clothes and cover myself in ashes and just live destitute. I would clip my nails and like devote my entire life to God and doing good for God. And I would fight in all the holy war. So Wolf was just, you know, in this pit weeping and sobbing and Fox, it says in the story, Fox's heart started to soften a little bit. Hearing Wolf, (laughs) you're like, no, no, no. Hearing Wolf, instead of pleading for help from him, like repenting in front of like God and like making right with the world. Fox started to feel like, Oh, you know what? Like maybe, maybe I was wrong. Maybe there is like redemption for this wolf. And so he excitedly was kind of like jumping around near the pit and his tail started to like fall down into the pit and seeing his tail in the pit Wolf reached up and grabbed it and yoinked Fox down into the pit. And he says, say to those who take pleasure in our sufferings, wake up, scoffers will taste what we have suffered. Oh, man. Like, oh, no. So the fox now is like, oh, my God. (laughs) I've fallen down here with this, like, person who I've been blasting for the last like half hour or whatever and so he is starting to try to think of like okay what can i do what can i do to like get out of this so wolf is immediately like hey you know what 
I don't want you, Fox, to have to wait until the farmer comes and sees us in here and kill us both. I'm going to just go ahead and kill you now as a favor. (laughs) And Fox in his head is like, okay, if I can like buy myself some time, I might be able to like figure out like a way to like get myself out of this. I got to buy time. And so he was like, no, 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 wolf. Don't be in such a hurry to kill me. I want you to like sit and listen to like what my intentions were and having my tail be like draped over the side. And Wolf is like, you are a wily deceiver. You have no hope of like me believing what you are going to say and like me like delaying your death, like get ready to die. And Fox was like, no, no. I was hearing you like praying and talking to God and like it really moved my heart because like I know that the best speech is the truest and I could tell by how strongly you were praying and repenting and lamenting that this was true, that you did really feel like that you needed to give up your uh your bad ways and like do better. I believed you and I wanted to help you. And so I came over closer to the edge so that I might offer you my tail to help you like climb out. But you in your like violent rough nature instead of taking that as like a gesture of like help, you just yanked me down in here with you and look your harsh Nature has trapped us both in here. And so if you think about it, this is your fault (laughs) and not my fault at all. So Fox is like, but you know what? I think I've thought of a way to get us both out. You know, now that now that I trust you and I want to help you because you've repented and you want to do better. Like I now have like a way for both of us to get out. If you'll like listen to my plan. And the wolf was like, where there is hatred, it is a mistake to trust. And whoever trusts the untrustworthy is deluded. (laughs) Like, another great line. Because to think the best of somebody is part of a perfect character, which allows its possessor to escape from what is to be feared. So, like you would do better to trust me and believe in me than to be suspicious of me. It would show that you have a beautiful character if you are willing to see the best in me. (laughs) And so Wolf was like, I don't have great faith in your loyalty anymore, but I recognize that you had goodness in your mind when you were trying to rescue me after you heard me repent. So I'm going to accept your advice, knowing that if you betray me, your treachery will lead to your destruction. Because in his logic, God would not let him promise something and then like go against that. It would then make it so that he was putting kind of like bad karma on himself Mm -hmm. to lie and then not save him. So... Wolf immediately stood up on his like hind legs and put his hind legs like up on the wall so he was nice and tall and he stretched out his neck and his face and Fox climbed up his body and and leapt off of Wolf's nose until he got to the top of the pit. And when he got to the top of the pit, Wolf called out, don't forget me, friend, don't delay to rescue me. (laughs) At which point Fox laid down on the ground and started laughing hysterically. <laughs> and he said, you dupe. I only fell into your hands as a result of making fun of you and laughing at you. When I heard you talk of repentance, I was so pleased and delighted that I jumped and danced for joy with my tail hanging down into the pit, which this is a complicating part of the story for me, because if I trust the narrator of like the story at the beginning, it was like, Fox was starting to think like, oh, if he's repenting, like, this is good. So this is kind of like a reversal of like what it is. And so, but regardless, now Fox is like, you know what? No. (laughs) 
He was like, yesterday, I dreamed that I was dancing at your wedding. And when I told this to an interpreter of dreams, he said that I was going to fall into great danger and then escape from it. I realized that my falling into your hands and then escaping is what the dream meant. The death of the evildoer brings relief to the people and purifies the land. So when the wolf heard this, it says he started to gnaw at his own paw in regret. So wolf starts to, again, go back to his tactics of trying to like get out. And he was like, oh, you foxes, you are the most pleasant spoken and the wittiest jesters among beasts. I know that this is just a joke of yours. And it's so funny. You're so funny, fox. So Fox says, fool, jokes have a limit, which the Joker must not pass. So he's like, yeah, I am a pretty funny guy, but this is definitely not a joke. <laughs> like this it wouldn't be funny. So then Wolf is like, you should want to save me because like we used to live together as brothers and companions and I would help you. I would like protect you and keep you safe from like, other like bigger animals we would like share in things that like we killed or that we caught like you'll lose out on like that benefit of like having me there and fox said do not take a foolish and shameless man as a brother since he will be a disgrace rather than an ornament to you and do not take a liar as a brother for if you do good he will conceal it and if you do wrong he will spread it abroad Anything can be put right except when its essence is rotten. Mm. And he's like, I would never pull you out of this pit because you are like the snake that fled from the snake charmer in the story of the snake and the man. And this story goes a little something like this. So a man saw a snake fleeing for its life. And so he asked him, what, hey, snake, what's going on? And so the snake is like, I'm escaping from the snake charmer. He's chasing me. But if you can save me and hide me from him, I'm going to give you like the most lavish reward that you'll ever know. And so the man who's like, oh, man, this is a great opportunity for me. He was really wanting after this reward, takes the snake and puts it in his pocket. And once the snake charmer has gone past and gone on its way, the snake stopped being afraid. and the man takes out of his pocket and he's like, okay, snake, look, the snake charmer's gone. I saved you from what you feared. So, you know, how about that reward you promised? And the snake said to the man, tell me what limb or part of your body you want me to bite? Because that's the only reward that snakes know how to give. And the snake then bit the man who died from the poisonous snake venom. The end. <laughs> so Fox says, I could never go back to living with you. We could never go back to being happy. That's not a reason to pull you out of the pit because poets have said, do not feel safe with one whose heart you have filled with anger and do not think to yourself this anger may have gone. Snakes are smooth to touch, but what they show is a cloak while what they hide away is deadly poison. So Wolf basically like looks up at Fox and curses him and is like, you were always an awful little peon and I hate you, basically, is what he said. And Fox is like, well, that kind of concludes this conversation. <laughs> and Fox runs over to a high hill and starts barking and barking making as much like ruckus as he can. Mm -hmm. And the owners of the vineyards come out to see if the sound is coming from something that has fallen into their trap. Mm -hmm. And when the master and all of the workers of the vineyard get out there, they look into the trap and they see the wolf and they pick up rocks and they stone the wolf until he is dead. Oh, man. And yeah. So it says that Fox walked over to the pit after all the people had gone and he shook his head in delight when he looked down and saw the wolf dead. And he said, how often wolf did you try to destroy me? But now disasters have overtaken you bringing destruction. You fell into a pit where all who fall are carried off by the storm winds of death. And Fox stayed in the vineyard alone and at his ease, fearing no harm until he died. 
And so ends the story of Fox and Wolf. So King Shariar, hearing this story and many other animal stories, says, How excellent are these stories, Shahrazad. You have drawn my attention to everything that I have been neglecting. Tell me more of these stories. So then Shahrazad says, Tomorrow night, if the king, may God ennoble him, spares me. Oh, wow. Then it moves away from these animal tales and more into kind of like the other kind of regular fare of like stories of like romance and cheating and, you know, all of that. It moves on to those stories and, you know, we kind of have that frame story going quiet again. Yeah. But I find the story of Fox and Wolf and all the Proverbs super fascinating. But also I just love this part in the night's where we do get to peek back outward at what's going on in the frame story. Oh, yeah. After all these nights, like, how are these people going? How is this plan of Shahrazad's going when most of the time we really can't see that, like, day-to-day of, like, right. what's going on? Right, any progress. On? Yeah, and it's so fascinating, too, that, like, she got to this point, she sees that he is now engaging with the stories and he's asking for stories and rather than doing her usual tricks of like leaving a story half finished or starting a new one that's gonna like draw him into the next night so he'll want to hear the story she leaves it at a place where the story is done and he's like hey can i have another story and she's like you can tomorrow if you don't kill me which is like a more direct like hey don't kill me. She's not tricking him anymore. I mean, she still is offering the incentive of something that he wants. Yeah. But it's not by way of trickery. It's by way of like, hey, don't you see how us being married is like a little beneficial situation for you? Like, you may not want to kill me. And giving him that opportunity to make the choice rather than kind of like stringing him along, which is, as far as the frame story is concerned, a very big kind yeah. of switch and swing in how... Uh, the situation has been for, you know, the previous 148 nights. Yeah. It's like there are opportunities throughout the, that like the animal tales where it is this, the story's over and so is the night. And he is still being like, oh, yeah, I'll let you live tonight, even though I didn't leave, like, even though I'm not left on a cling- cliffhanger. Yeah. I still, I, I yeah, like I want more of you. Yeah. Not more of the story. I want more of like whatever comes next. Yeah. And I do think this story was like so different from so many of the other stories that we've read so far and just kind of strange in just how chock full of like proverbs and advice and lessons that it was. Because most of the stories, it seems like there's not so much an obvious yes. lesson. Yes. There's just like these Correct. things happen. Yeah. You really have to tease out lessons for yourself. And again, it opens the path for like discussing values and being like, well, this person did this and it makes me feel kind of like this way about it. And I'm not sure what it's supposed to mean. Or, But this one, it's like very clear. There still is that, just like there are with Aesop's Fables, where it leads to discussions that, you know, help us to solidify our own values. But these were just so clearly stated, whether in the zingers that they were saying back and forth to each other or the proverbs that they acknowledged that they were quoting back and forth to each other. And even just like the witty things that they would say. Yeah. It is like interesting that it's like most of the stories in The Thousand One Nights are stories for the sake of wonderful stories or fantastic stories, like marvelous stories. Yeah. And there isn't this kind of like, you know, look at the audience and like, and the moral of the story is like, there's not a whole lot of moralizing that goes on in like the majority of like the stories. And so it's interesting when we like hit into like the animal tales One, yeah, because it's fascinating because throughout that chunk of stories, you have the frame story coming alive with like this like discussion, but also the stories themselves are stories that like move away from what 
we've been hearing and into this kind of like these animal tales, animals as characters that can teach us like about human nature, Mm -hmm. just like Aesop's fables or the Panchatantra. So I also love this little section of tales just because it reminds us how much variety of story can be found within the Thousand and One Nights tales. Thank you for listening to The Fairy Tellers. If you are enjoying what we're doing, please support us by leaving us a review or share us with your friends. Special thanks to Andrew Forey for our music and Clarice Inch for our artwork. If you are a dreamer, come in. If you are a dreamer, a wisher, a liar, a hoper, a prayer, a magic bean buyer. If you're a pretender, come sit by my fire, for we have some flax golden tails to spin. Come in, come in. Invitation by Shel Silverstein. Okay, I'm ready. Mentally, no. Physically, no. But yeah, we're doing it.